You're listening to audio from the Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about the village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Good morning. My name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks so much for hanging out with us this morning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Probably heard that before, something like that. This is the beginning of the the revealed story of God and man. In the first verses of the scriptures, light and dark, goodness and evil will be a consistent theme throughout the scriptures, throughout the story of God and humanity. Um, Scary nights, right? Uh, Hope-filled lights, beauty refracting through an old window, light, unknowns on, on dark paths, darkness, Fear. What followed this was the creation of uh, the universe, uh, the world that we live in, and, and everything and everyone uh, which lives in this world. And, and God declared that it was good. But darkness came, and, and Adam and Eve, the first humans, they turned from the light of truth, and they turned from God, and they went their own Way and, and the entire Old Testament was the story of darkness working through humanity and God sending voices and remnants and flickers and, and sparklers and, and fireworks of light to remind and to redirect his people back to the light. Always with a greater promise of the greater light that would come to overcome darkness once and for all. This is the tale as old as time. Light, dark, good, evil. And, and the light is, is always the lightest against the backdrop of darkness. And we see that true in Scripture, and we see that true in our own lives. As the New Testament dawns, uh, a new light flickers, and that, that flicker is filled with expectation, and it's filled with long-awaited hope. We, we know this like as Christmas, and there's always... Lights around Christmas, and and we see this, and so this is John. John 1, one of the writers of the gospel, he kind of like parallels the creation account with with this new creation as he tells us about, he, he introduces us to Jesus, right? And this is what he says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In 1757, Ben Franklin penned in a letter to his wife after narrowly avoiding a shipwreck, he said this. He says, were I a Roman Catholic, 
perhaps I should on this occasion vow to build a chapel in, uh, to some saint. But as I am not, if I were to vow at all, it should, it should be to build a lighthouse. A lighthouse. An invention that has saved millions from death at sea. One of note, Ben Franklin. I mean, who would our seventh president be? Right? Who would be on the $100? Ben Franklin wasn't president. It was a joke. Um, who would be on the $100 bill if not for lighthouses? Right? And so what he's saying to his wife is like, my goodness. If I could like pay homage to something in my life on which my, I, I owe my life to, it's, it's a lighthouse because it saved my life. See, light and dark isn't merely a theological theme that we draw from the pages of Scripture. And, and it's not merely a, a Disney cash grab. Although, like, you probably struggle to find a Disney film that doesn't have the theme of light and dark in it. It's literally life and death. That's true for ships and sailors at sea, and it's true for all who walk in darkness apart from the light and the truth of God. So today in, in 2 Peter, there are a few lines here that are, that are rich. And for you who love, you know, like just the story of God, like this, this isn't the story of God. These are foundational pillars of God. Like we, we have to get a handle on what Peter is saying. It's rich with history and it's, and it's rich with help and it's rich with hope. And it's bigger than, than a letter from, from Peter in prison to a few churches in Asia Minor. It's so much bigger than that. It is God who breaks through silent darkness and preserves the shining light of truth. That's what we're looking at today, right? It, it is God who breaks through silent darkness and preserves the shining light of truth. This passage has everything to do with what's good, with what's true, with, with what's light. And, and at the end of the day, it's, it's whose authority brings that truth to bear on the darkness of the world around us. So what's at stake here is, is the authority and the truth in the word of God. Peter is building out some, some pillars for God's people to know. And really the question is like, what is genuine revelation of God? And to be fair, like we kind of take this for granted. Like, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're like, there it is. Like, that's it. Like, I, I hope that you are. <laughs> the challenge today would be, make sure that you are. But, but we would say, there it is. But, but Peter wasn't living in this leather-bound world, right? And so he's, he's giving us a foundation. Like, the Word of God didn't just, like, it didn't just show up. And he's one of the, one of the ones carrying the baton of, of the light of truth, or carrying the torch, Right? <laughs> of the light of truth, and he's, and he's giving it to us, but he's, he's wanting his readers to know that this is the word of God, right? So, so pay attention, and, and, and this is the first thing. We'll look at kind of three chunks. The first thing that, that I want us to see is this, is that Jesus is from God, and again, so many of us in, in this room might be like, oh, okay, well, like, what, what a declarative point, right? Jesus is from God. But, but Peter goes out of his way to make sure that we get this, all right? So we're, we're starting in uh, 2 Peter, verse 16, and, and I'll read 17. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths 
when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when, when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice, voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is a quote, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Right? It, it's important to see what Peter is, is doing here. He alludes to this moment that's recorded in, in I, I think, three of the four Gospels, and I want to read it to you uh, in Luke chapter 9. So Peter, writing after Jesus came and, and ascended, came, died, rose, and ascended, he's pointing back to this, and, and this is uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 28. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James, three of them, and went up on the mountain to pray. And as Jesus was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, kind of some big deals from the Old Testament, who appeared in glory and spoke of, of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were, were heavy with sleep. That's the kind of thing that puts you to sleep, right? But, but when they became fully awake, they were like, oh my gosh, what is happening? And they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were, were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Like, we can talk about this forever, but I won't. But, but he's saying, like, literally, are, are they, like, hanging with us? Like, what... Literally, what just happened, right? Do we need to, like, uh, like th throw a tent out for them to st stay? Or are they hanging around? Like, what is happening? And then something even crazier happens. As he was saying these words, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Re remember the context of, of Peter's audience. They're Gnostics claiming some superior access to God and to ultimate truth. And, and remember the hope and the burden of Peter that we looked at last week. He's nearing his death. He knows he's going to die soon. He's wanting the church to be faithful and fruitful in Christ. And, and so Peter's shining light into the fog of darkness. He's saying, listen, this isn't willy-nilly revelation that may or may not be true. This is the truth of God, from God, Christ our Lord. I saw him with my own eyes. Again, we look at this and we say, yeah, Jesus is from God. We know that and we assume that. But, but the reason why we know that and the reason why we have the, the gift to be able to assume that is because of words like what Peter's writing right here. Eugene Peterson, he, he uh, paraphrases it like this. He says, we weren't, you know, just wishing on a star when we laid the facts out before you regarding the powerful return of our master Jesus Christ. We were there for the preview. We saw it with our own eyes. Jesus, resplendent with light from God the Father as the voice of majestic 
glory. He spoke, this is my son, marked by my love, focus of all my delight. We were there on the holy mountain with him. We heard the voice of of heaven with our very own ears. So Peter's painting out this picture of Jesus. He says he's majestic. Uh, He's prominent. He's mighty in power. This Jesus whom we saw in radiant light of the glory of God, he is the real deal. And the God of the Old Testament, do you know what he said to us and what he would say to you? This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Do you see how what, what Peter's pointing back to, this transfiguration moment of Jesus, it's a shooting star pointing back to Exodus and to Moses and the authority of God's truth at Mount Sinai. And Peter is, is pointing back to it. The majestic God of the Old Testament is the same majestic God who we are bearing witness to, Jesus the Christ, author of truth and light of God. Jesus is from God. The second thing we see, and maybe today you would be saying like, oh, where was the application point in there? How about this? Jesus is from God. Let us live as if that were so. Right? Is that good for you? Okay. Okay. Point number two, the apostles are from Jesus. Now, if you're saying, like, this sounds like kind of a history lesson. History is kind of important, right? The apostles are from Jesus. And so let's read on in verse 18 and 19. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word, right, more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. It's kind of a a, a weird thing. He's saying like, we saw Jesus in majestic glory. But then he's saying, we saw, right? He's pointing to Jesus as the one the, the, the reason why any of this stuff matters, and he's saying, and here's the deal. I saw him with my own two eyes. And not just me, but the others. So he's, he's giving himself some, some validation. We heard from God with our own ears. We saw with our own eyes. This is, this is uh, the tale of majesty, not myth. This isn't some fanciful myth like so many in the Greco-Roman world believed. And and historians would, would largely point that all of the stuff that we read and, and all of the movies that are made and all of the books written and all of the history that, that we read about the pantheon of gods and, and Greco-Roman, most historians would say like they didn't really even believe that in the moment because of the way they looked at history. It was circular, and so they, they added those things into their, their life and culture. But by and large, they, they didn't even believe those in, in the Jews, the Hebrews, quite different. It's not circular and like, eh. It's like linear and like, no, we want the facts. Peter knows that. He's engaging the culture around him. Uh, right? And so they wanted these truths validated. 
And Peter's validating. He, he has the validation, and he's tearing down the culture around. Man, in, in talking uh, about this text with Scott this week, he reminded me of, of uh, a movie that I've quoted probably more than any other movie um, up here, a, a Knight's Tale. And, and in the movie, um, it, it's a story about a, a man kind of flipping the destiny of himself and, and of his family name. Um, he couldn't really get started because, William, you're not of noble birth, right? He's not of noble birth. He can't go jousting, can't go knocking dudes off horses. He can't go knocking princes off of horses because he's not of noble birth. He can't do that, right? And so, so uh, they're walking along, and they're kind of like despairing about that and saying, yeah, but what if we can like figure something out? And they run into this guy on a dusty road, um, Jeffrey Chaucer's the name, writing's the game is what he says, joins them, uh, he joins their journey uh, as they're all nobodies, if, if, like trying to be somebodies, and he does that by forging this document called a Patents of Nobility. Now I know I said I love history, I don't know if that's a thing or not, right? No idea, didn't look it up, right? But, but for the sake of story, patents of nobility is what they had to show the gatekeepers at each of these jousting tournaments in order for them to believe that William, <coughs> Sir Ulrich von Lichtenstein, was of noble birth. So you have this guy calling himself Geoffrey Chaucer, the writer, through, through artistry and through savvy wordsmithing, he convinces the gatekeepers of each tournament of Sir Ulrich's false lineage. Gosh, and there's so much more I could share, but I won't. Here's the thing. That patents of nobility, Sir Ulrich or William, he didn't have one. He was not of noble birth. Peter is not forging documents. That is not what he's doing here, right? Peter's not forging documentation. He's convinced and he is persuading that the apostles have borne witness to the majesty of God, to Christ our Lord, in a way that makes their words, even this very letter from his pen, as the very word of God along the continuum from the Old Testament to the Gospels and the New Testament. He's writing the very word of God. One story of light and darkness, one light, God, and beams of truth pointing to that light. Like uh, when the circus is in town and you see those spotlights and you're like, man, what is this? Like in, in, in the clouds of night, you just see lights and you just want to follow them and, and you just want, like you're not going to go there because it's too expensive. But like you get there and, and, and you see lights, right? That, that's what Peter's doing. He's like pointing to the real deal. So for us, maybe the question is, and maybe, maybe for them in this context, who has the loudest voice? Because that voice is the light that you will follow when the going gets tough. And by and large, it's, it's, the, li it's the light that you will follow when, when the going doesn't get tough. Who has the loudest voice? voice. Peter assures us, though, it has nothing to do with who's the loudest, but, but has everything to do with the one that is backed by truth, God himself. Jesus is from God. The apostles are from Jesus. So he says, and we have the prophetic 
word, meaning the, the Old Testament word of God, and, and, and continuing to what Peter is literally living in, we have the prophetic wor- word more fully confirmed. Peter's actually kind of downplaying. He, he lived with Jesus for three and a half years. He knows him inside and out. He saw all the glory of God, and he's saying, look, this guy is he's not... Not a mere man. He is the real deal. And, and we know him. So Peter and the fellow Jews, they already believed the authority of the Old Testament. But what he's saying is it further validates and it further propels the authenticity of Jesus and his sent ones, the apostles. Augustine said this of the New and the Old Testament. He says, the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed. And the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. It's all there. When we read the Old Testament, we have the lens of the New Testament. They did not. They, did, they didn't know it. They didn't see the full revelation of God bound in leather sitting in, in this pulpit. Peter was living it. The early church was living it. Augustine, the New Testament is the Old Testament concealed. The Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. R.C. Sproul said this, there is an inseparable bonding between the two Testaments. The Old Testament is virtually the autobiography of God. Today there is a lack of a sense of the greatness of God, which I believe is linked to the church's ignorance of that autobiography of God's self-revelation that comes to us in the pages of the Old Testament. And what I would tell you that that means, and I think this is really, really important, that the black letters are just as much the word of God as the red letters. So in in the culture around us that we live in, if this is truth, and someone says, well, yeah, but Jesus didn't even talk about X, Y, or Z, like, okay. He did, because he was in the beginning, and he was the Word, and he, he showed up in flesh. And so, we can't be drawn into that. We, we can't say, well, I, I think that like the way that I'm engaging this element of culture or this, is this a sin or not a sin or whatever, like, well, it's important. It's really important what Jesus said. But what, what Jesus did and what Peter is doing is he's validating the authenticity of the apostles to speak the word of truth from God. Darkness is, is the mood of our hearts apart from grace. God gives this world over to itself, seeking and, and drawing near to darkness instead of light. So Peter urges his readers then and now, to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Peter's like begging them, please pay attention. Pay attention to what's true. 
And, and this is kind of difficult, the, the way he's saying this to interpret, and it's kind of twofold. Uh, I, I think he says, in your hearts, with the emphasis on, on being awakened to the light of Christ and becoming a new creation, sealed by faith. And in, and in the second way, a new day will dawn with light beyond measure at Christ's return. Or as one said, on a long, dark night, the appearance of the morning star means daybreak is imminent. In the long, dark night of suffering on earth, Jesus being seen as the morning star means the eternal morning is about to dawn. So in some way, a, a real way, an overcoming way, the advent of Jesus' first coming was the onset of the promised light. The incarnation is the hope of life in this life and, and in the next. But because we still live in, in uh, darkness of sin's work, he sits on the horizon, already having done the work and yet awaiting the final completion and, and the onset of eternal light where there will be no darkness at all. So Peter says, pay attention to the word. You will do well to pay attention to Christ, your only hope in our present world, darkened by sin. And the third point, even more riveting. You can throw it up there. Just kidding. Divine revelation is from the apostles and the prophets. If you look at that, I keep saying that we assume these things. Do you see how much we just assume these things? In any industry or field of study, you have like coined like the father of modern medicine or the father of modern psychology or um, last night Kim told me that, that I wrote the book on, on fun, Right? Um, she didn't really tell me that. Uh, she actually says I'm not fun at all. But uh, funny, not fun. You can write that one down. I hear it a lot. Uh, so Kim's not with us today, so I can say whatever I want about her. So it's okay. Um, love you, Kim. Um, it, it means that they speak on kind of uh, supreme authority of that subject, of that topic. Like some literally write the books on these things, right? What they say establishes the truth. Peter's concern here is that we wouldn't know what authority to build on. What is true? And what, what if today I stood up and I told you, I told you something new apart from this as if it were the authoritative word of God? What do you do? Well, one, I, I hope that you know, and, you, and, and I know you're sharp, right? And the reason why it takes me 100 hours to write a sermon every single week is because you're so sharp. And I don't want to say dumb stuff, that I'll get booed off the stage or heckled or tackled or anything like that. But I wouldn't put it past some of you, and that's okay. Like, you know what's true, Right? Peter's building out the foundation of how we came to know what is true. 
Paul continues, and, and he comes alongside Peter, and the book of Acts is, is really like Peter's ministry and Paul's ministry and, and coming together. Paul, he helps Peter. He supplements these truths in, in a couple ways. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, he says this, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. Right? And he says some other stuff there, too. That's really important. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching and reproof, for correction, right? Uh, in Ephesians 2.20, Paul says this, which is like very, very important. And I'll tell you this, like Matt read as the opener, uh, Ephesians 2.18 and 19, and he didn't know that I was reading 20. That's pretty cool. Um, why didn't you read 20, Matt? Let's go. Uh, so, so we're no longer strangers. We're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And then he says this, built you got to know this passage, guys. Ephesians 2.20. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Do you know how important that is? How do we know what the household of God is? How do we know what's true? How do we know what's light and darkness? What Paul is, is supplementing the words that we're looking at Peter saying today is, is because it was all built on the foundation of the apostles. Peter is one of those. And the prophets, Jesus, uh, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So Peter, uh, he says it this way uh, in, in 1, 20 and 21. Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. He's letting the readers know, in contrast to myths and fables, how the truth of God has moved and continues to move from God to his people. This is the manner in which light penetrates darkness. Paul reinforces the same truth that it was the prophets of old, it is the apostles, and it is Jesus. And that is the end of the authoritative word of truth. Peter says in his first letter, he quotes Isaiah, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And he says, in this word is the good news that was preached to you. So, so what do we make of this? Like a, a couple things. I'll give you three things to make of this. One, you don't get to make up stuff and claim that it's from God. Not then, and not now. Do not be swayed by the foolishness of false claims of ultimate, private revelation from God in a way that, that adds to what we need for salvation, knowing what is true. I know some of you know the, the Reformation better than me, and, and some of you don't, but there were, there were lots of things in the 15, 1600s um, that, that were 
being thought about. And, and it was certainly by grace alone and faith alone uh, as the, the, the kind of the heartbeat of the Reformation was that we are saved by faith alone, not by works. The church at Rome, they didn't love that. Um, and so there were some guys who like nailed stuff on doors and there were people thrown in prison and killed and, and like sent out of towns and all kinds of crazy stuff so that we might believe the truths that we herald today. One of the other things that came out of that was the idea of sola scriptura, right? Scripture alone. And, and so... Um, So the tension was that the church were the gatekeepers, and they often read the Bible, not even in, in the native language of the people. And you might say, well, that's a, that's a real problem, because the church could then say whatever they, they wanted, right? It would be like me getting up here and saying words that you didn't understand, and then explaining them and telling you whatever it said from, from the Lord. And so then, then who becomes really important? Me. So, so along with that uh, came a, a really important doctrine called the doctrine of private interpretation. Luther was fighting, Martin Luther was fighting with the church, and, and they wanted to have the ultimate right, and they said, if you, get, if you put the Bible in the hands of the people, they're going to mess it up. And they're going to, like, you're, you're going to enable sin is what you're going to do. And this is what, what Luther said. He said, um, if giving the Bible into the hands of the people opens a floodgate of iniquity, so be it. Now, why would he say that? Do you think because he didn't care if people sinned? No. That's not why he would say that. He said it because the authority is the word, not the interpretation of the church or of any person. Thanks be to God for, for Martin Luther and many, many, many other men and women who, who fought and, and battled and lost their lives so that this might be put into our hands. And, and, and Luther was, was sent out of his town for three years, and you know what he did? He translated the Bible into German. And, and many continue to read that translation today. And so you, you have this time and time again of, of these men and women who were living during the Reformation. This is really, really important. And, and what it was saying was the revelation of God to the prophets and the apostles and Jesus, perfect. Right? He's saying uh, the inspiration from the Holy Spirit to the, the hands of these people, perfect. Your interpretation, it's not perfect. My interpretation is not perfect. My interpretation of these scriptures is not authoritative. Thanks be to God. The second thing is, is revelation of God doesn't hinge on someone's interpretation, but on God's revelation and the Spirit's illumination. You didn't know you were going to history class today? You didn't know you were getting an a MA in theology today? Just add the word Asian on lots of words, right? You'll get there. 
here's what that means. It, not then and, and not now. There are loads of debate about how God speaks to us today, and we'll engage that like in the coming months. And I'm really excited about it. But, but what it means is, is that we, we do not claim that apart from the prophets and the apostles in Christ that you're hearing new authoritative revelation from God necessary for salvation. The word isn't still being written. And that's not to say that, that God doesn't move and that he doesn't speak as he pleases through his spirit. Lastly, scripture is not merely from man, but it is the work of the Holy Spirit through man. We, we did a podcast, uh, the Formed and Sent podcast, which we do on occasion to supplement some stuff around here. And, and we did uh, one called Blowing Dust Off of the Bible. And we just talked about the historical roots of Scripture and how we got it and all of the things. And so I don't have time for that today. You can check that out. But we hit on the origin of the Bible. And, and here's what we get to know, that it wasn't, it wasn't just dropped through some cosmic cartoon spiritual trance where, where Peter's writing and his eyes just start spinning and he blacks out and, then, and he's like, whoa, what's this? But, but isn't it easy to think that? As Moses is writing, as Paul's writing, they just like zone out and, and when we re- like, oh, yeah, inspired by Scripture, or Scripture inspired by the Spirit. And so it must have just been some trance where they just wrote the things and then like, it wasn't like that. Which is why sometimes it's tough to see the Scriptures, but it's also so beautiful to see thousands of years pulled together in real people, in real places, in real context, come together through real voices of, of fishermen and, and priests and, and lots of different types of people telling one story of one true light in a world filled with darkness. This, this beautiful piece of living active, eternally relevant, nuanced, authoritative literature. I was at the Reds game last night, and like, suddenly, you know, like, um, I'm super fun. Um, my nephew Hayes, he's super fun. Both of us in like, you know, uh, our, our family's elbowing, like, Put your hands, like, what? And then it's like the wave is happening, and you're like, hey, that's cool. Like, and Hayes just wouldn't. He's not fun, but, like, it's okay. Um, but, like, it made me think of this. Like, all these people willingly doing their thing, and it's something so much bigger than what's happening. And, like, you can do that, and no one cares. But when you do that in the right time, when, when this movement, this wave that no one's controlling, it's just happening. Like, maybe that's how the spirit moves, or like the, the, the feather on, on Forrest Gump at the beginning is just floating around, and it's going down the street, and it's like some sweet, like you know something's moving that, you can't see it. It's the spirit moving as he desires, perfect in every way, to set up the scene and the context. And Peter might be saying, uh, man, if I wrote this story, guess what? Uh, I wouldn't be writing. You know Paul would say the same thing. But but what we see is is the beauty of the way the Spirit moves. It, It says, but men spoke from God as they were carried. 
so what? Well, we have the responsibility to handle this with care, to herald the prophets, the apostles, and, and Christ as the light of the world dashing through the darkness already and until he returns. What a gift, right? I, we've not talked about this at length, but I, I don't think you'll see us just handing out New Testaments around here. And if you do that, like, gosh, and I get some missionary context or whatever. But the beauty of the New Testament is that it satisfies in full the old. Right, and I know when you're, like, wanting some morning inspiration, you're not like, lamentations, what do we got? But man, I, I challenge you to open the first two-thirds of this book. And right, a friend of mine that I haven't seen in 20 years, an acquaintance I played soccer with in high school, he's like been reaching out. We've been like interacting and he's been like, hey, Andrew, if you're listening today, I just got to a point where I thought like, oh, he's been listening to things. and Like, oh, he, he might be listening to my words right now. Um, but anyway, like, he, he was like struggling with the Old Testament and the New Testament. And then like he started reading Hebrews. And he was like, literally, it's like a, a lock and key. It's like, so I encourage you, man, I know this stuff is rich. and I know it's thick. But this is, this is one story of light and darkness. It's not some old stuffy, stoic. and Like the context is different, right? The ancient Near East doesn't feel like modern day America. But in a lot of ways it does. So I, I encourage you, man, look to unlock the truths in this book because they're life and death. Maybe for you who want some four points of action, how about this, right? As we see the ultimate light from God, let us acknowledge the weight. Acknowledge the weight of what's in front of us. I get Man, I, we read the Bible with, with our kids, and, and I'm confused sometimes. I'm just like, this is really tough. It takes work to get at, and, and it's worth it. And it's okay. Seek the beauty in it. Submit to the authority of it. In terms of application, if all this is true that we said today, then live in light of it. As if this is light, right? That we get to live in light of it. And lastly, be lights reflecting the one True light. I'll close with, with a quote. should never do this. Don't, don't ever close a sermon with a long quote, but that's what I'm going to do, okay? Since antiquity, lighted beacons have guided ships to port. The earliest lighthouses were controlled fires on hilltops that warned vessels that they were approaching land. Over time... These signals were powered by burning coal or oil lamps backed by mirrors, which could reach navigators further out to sea. But lamp power was no match for a dark and stormy night. Over centuries, broken hulls and wind-whipped sails ran aground as ships, captains, and crew perished within, unable to spot the coastline before it was too late. All that changed in the early 1820s, when a French physicist invented a new kind of lens. He's probably like the father of that lens. A ring of crystalline prisms arranged in a faceted dome that could reflect refracted light 
Augustine Fresnel was his name. He installed this creation in a lighthouse in France. Suddenly, one lamp could illuminate the way for sailors many nautical miles out to sea. This invention changed the world, and it has since saved the lives of millions. There's one light, just one. It's not you. But man, the call is that we get to reflect that light into the dark world around us. God has been about his light breaching darkness since sin befell the heart of mankind. The word of truth has been going forward for a long, long time through the prophets and through the apostles and finally in Christ. And as Jesus himself said, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world and the darkness could not overcome him. We have seen the light the word which magnifies Christ, the light of truth, and we get to shine that light to a dark, lost, broken world, one that doesn't know right from wrong, one that doesn't know rock from sea, one that doesn't know fog from clear seas and clear skies. We get to be reflectors, letting that light shine until the morning star dawns. Band can come on up. It is God who breaks through silent darkness and preserves the shining light of truth. Man, we get to respond to that. And you can sit right where you can talk to God because of the work of Jesus. You can pray over there at that prayer bench. You can stand up and sing. If you have questions about what any of this means, hunt me down. Right? Go to the Connect desk. Fill out a Connect card. We can follow up with you this week. Uh, there were, there's somebody that would love to pray with you over by that red tree over there. Thanks so much. Would you pray with me? God, thanks for your goodness and your, your light of truth. And we just skim the surface of how we got to know you and who you are. And we know that the Spirit is at, is at work. And, and you went to great lengths to secure for us a foundation on which we can stand. Let that be your word for everyone here. We love you and we need you in Jesus' name. Amen.